Welcome to Growth, episode number four. Before anything else, like just as a consumer, I'm finding myself not thinking about Amazon as my place to just get my things. Because the delivery dates for so many things are starting to get pushed out. Yeah. I I know for a fact I'm not the only person that's feeling this way. Like once once that easy fix is over, right? It's almost it, it's almost like like an addiction, right? We get we got so comfortable, so used to being able to just click a couple buttons and then some guy in a blue van shows up in two hours and your thing is here. Once that's removed, you start scrambling for some alternative, right? And I'm finding myself buying stuff from retailers that I probably would have never thought about just because historically Amazon was always better performing in that it would show up quicker, maybe the price was better, or or both, right? Now, just because of those delivery windows that are being pushed out so far, I'm not even thinking about the price anymore. I just need my thing so quickly. I'm willing to pay a lot more for it. Like, to give you an example, I bought something from Guitar Center for the first time in years. Do they still exist? <laughs> they absolutely still exist. And they have two-day shipping for a nominal fee. And you bet your ass I paid for $2 shipping or two-day <laughs> shipping. And it showed up in two days. And I was ecstatic, right? Like That's, that's great. It made me realize how fixated I got on things showing up so quickly. Like Amazon was like ingrained in my being almost like I was, I'm, I'm working on a, a, a new project to kind of keep me stimulated in the age of Corona. And I was, I was shopping for supplies and I found myself with like three different retailers trying to check all of the boxes because some things Amazon still had that I could get by Saturday, which, you know, was still four days. And then some places where, you know, three days that Amazon was like a month and a half. Like I was, I found myself trying to juggle all of these things because I just, I needed it quickly. You know, I still, I couldn't get past that original, I need it now thing that it's kind of been built into almost just everyday life. It's, it's weird. I'm having a hard time coming to terms with that still. Like I'm paying extra for shipping because I don't want to lose that, that high I get almost from stuff showing up right away. You know what I mean? Yeah, so there, there's two things there. So one, what you're describing is hedonic adaptation. So if you've never heard the term hedonic adaptation, it basically states that when something new or novel comes into your life, eventually it becomes the new normal, in which case it's not as appealing as it was previously. Prime example, I knew about hedonic adaptation before I got into watches. I got my first luxury watch, and everybody that I talked to that was in the space said, hey, I know you're excited. You're not going to care about this watch in two weeks. I'm like, dude, get out of here. This is my dream watch. I got it, treated it like a baby, and then sure enough, within a few weeks, it just became another watch. Don't get me wrong. Still amazing, still loved it, but I watched myself mentally go through the point where I'm like, no, it's just it's my watch. So this applies to everything, right? Um, you get your first Lamborghini, Oh my gosh, it's a Lamborghini. Eventually, yeah, that's just my car. Hard to accept until you you experience that. Two-day shipping, same thing. So it's understandable that you're you're so thrown off because you're like, no, that's how this works. Why is this different? Right? We're good at, at being humans, we are really great at pattern recognition. The moment we realize a pattern has been broken, we really don't like it. We're like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> like, is a tiger gonna eat me? What's happening here? Right? That's where our mind goes. 
Number two, I wrote a blog post um, on my personal site not too long ago, long ago talking about the power of defaults. And so I am a huge fan using things like standardization in other areas of life. Obviously, I'm an automation dork. We already know this. From a technical standpoint, you can't automate things that are non-standardized. It's very difficult, right? It's hard to automate things that are not, you know, if they have a lot of variety, it's really hard to do that, whether that's software or hardware. Therefore, if we can change the word from standardized to default, kind of the same thing, we can make our lives a little bit easier, right? Like, okay, I only wear shirts or t-shirts from this company in these three colors, and this is my size. If I need to replace a t-shirt, that's where I go. I'm reducing my decision fatigue. Here's the thing about Amazon. Amazon helps you reduce your decision fatigue in one way, but not in all the ways, right? Because there's so many things on there you can purchase, you have all the options. But the thing you don't have to do is what you had to do, which is let me look at three different companies, compare the three, and see what makes the most sense. I don't have to do that. I can pull it up, search, be like, oh, cool. It's got you know five-star reviews, purchase, I move on with my life. That took me hardly any time. They're helping reduce decision fatigue. Now, I think there are going to be companies that will take advantage of the situation because they, they're primed to do that. Companies like Guitar Hero or Guitar Hero, um, such child, <laughs> Guitar Center, they don't have physical locations hardly ever. I think there's one maybe still in, in my state, and actually it's here in Jacksonville. But, okay, they can start to offer two-day free shipping maybe for a short period of time, right? They're really looking short-term. They're looking at market share increasing right now, right? Oh, hey, we still exist. Yeah, they, won't, they can't give you two-day shipping. We'll do it. We'll lose money. It's fine. What I think will end up happening, though, is we will shift directly back to where we were with Amazon as consumers, it makes sense. They're at the forefront of innovation. People can talk bad about them all they want, and every company has pros and cons, but they're fighting for one-day shipping. They're fighting for two-day shipping. They're fighting basically for drones that instantly bring it to your place. They'll get there. So I think we'll go back there because, one, it's comfortable. Two, it's consistent for the most part, and it's going to keep iteratively getting better. Right. So now we get to a point where Amazon can give you one day free shipping. Hedonic adaptation kicks in. Now, two day shipping is just it's twice as long as it should be. (laughs) My original thought when I when I was thinking about this as I was experiencing it was like this feels similar to how society kind of got bored with ebooks as a delivery method for reading. Right. Sure. You know, ebooks. If, if for those too young to know, the we used to read these things called books. They was bound paper, uh, various thicknesses. You know, sometimes hundreds and thousands of pages. A brick. It was a brick, right? It you throw it at somebody, it would hurt like a brick. Like this was this was life for many many hundreds of years, and we accepted it. Then, ebooks, electronic books. If you didn't know what that meant, came along and upended the print publishing industry for a significant period of time because now yeah a few years yeah we had these we you know kindles showed up you know kobo readers i I think that's what they're called sure yeah kobo yeah you you can tell they turned out well right because i couldn't (laughs) think of the name the ability to essentially download a book in a moment's notice in in some cases really cheap oh yeah it, it was cheaper than the print version 
course, Amazon got in a lot of trouble for that. Um, there was at least one lawsuit that I can think of. It was settled. You know, if you ever got $3 in free ebook credit for some reason, that's probably why. Being able to download books from practically anywhere. You know, the, the early Kindles used what they called WhisperNet, which was essentially free 3G service from AT&T, let you download a book without having any kind of regular, typical internet connection. You know, that's, that really put a dent in the print publishing industry and it, it hurt print sales for a while. But then, I don't know, I'd say 2014, 2015, I won't, I won't begin to say why exactly people started shifting back, but people did started shifting back to regular books, you know? Yeah. Print, print sales. Let's see. I wrote it down here. Print sales were up 20% in 2015 compared to the year prior and ebook sales were down 6%. So, you know, ebook sales didn't just completely disappear again because people got bored with them, but there was, there was a substantial shift and 2017, you know, there was a, a bit more of a shift back to print. It wasn't as significant. I think it kind of found its balance. You know, there's a reason print books are still made because people do buy them. I think it, it found a new, you know, equilibrium in society, in the universe, whatever you want to call it. I can't help but wonder if we might see a little bit more of that when it comes to online sales. Yeah, I, I think I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I- and really, if you think about it, the, the ebook situation, because I have both, right? I really love physical books, but I really do also love the idea of an e-reader. So I do have a Kindle Fire. Um, I like the idea that everything can fit there, and that's awesome. I have this odd fascination with like fitting my entire life into a trunk. Um, not like a car trunk. That sounds like, you know, weird, but like, you know, like a moving trunk. Like, I don't know. It's a weird thing. I, I'm this I, I like this whole like minimalism idea. But I love physical books. Like I really do. There's something nostalgic about it. There's something about turning a page that you get the completion. Like when you, that last page, oh my gosh, it's great. But I think eBooks, like most technologies went through a hype cycle, right? So the technology comes widely available. People get into it because it's novel, because it's new and it's so crazy cool. Therefore, popularity of it, the hype, if you will, is at an all time peak. And then People who weren't really readers to begin with are like, why do I have a Kindle? I don't read. And then it kind of falls down, right? Everybody gets bought one for Christmas because they're, you know, $50 to $150, relatively cheap for a Christmas gift. Everybody's got a freaking Kindle. But then the people who really like actually enjoyed it, they were readers to begin with, or they found a passion for reading and loved that Kindle experience, stayed with it. And it leveled out. But the people like me, I'm kind of in between, like I, I like it, but I'm probably going to default to a physical book nine times out of 10. I'm going back to physical books. I don't think that's the same thing with Amazon. I think Amazon definitely went through a hype cycle where everybody had, it, it's funny. I don't even consider the fact that I have a prime account. I always get like my annual subscription fee. I'm like, what is, what, what are you charging me for? What did I buy? I'm like, oh, that's, I, I forget I pay for two day free shipping. My bad. I think it's already past that hype cycle. I think it's now the new normal. Now, do we get to a point where people say, maybe I should strongly consider Walmart's online platform or Jets versus Amazon? I think you could. The hard part though, and it's a, it's a positive to Amazon as a company They've done such a good job at developing an ecosystem that makes it harder for you to transition. So in SaaS, really just any product, right? You have this whole idea of, 
um, of stickiness, right? How, what, how hard is it for you to switch, right? Is there a high switch cost? What you want is a high switch cost, but for all the people to be with you because now it's painful to leave. If I have the, the Amazon Echo, if I have Alexa, if I have everything dialed in, I'm not switching. Why would I switch it to Walmart? My, my Alexa doesn't work with it. That's very smart. And I think they were able to see, okay, we do have competition. What we do is amazing logistics, but it can definitely be replicated. And you can unfortunately hire people that used to work here to replicate that. That's what happens in large corporate companies anyways. We need to make it harder for people to leave our ecosystem. And I think they've done a pretty good job. So I don't really see that shifting. I think people that are not readily in that ecosystem heavily, yeah, I could definitely see people considering walmart.com or jet more so than Amazon. But it's the default. That's the hard part. When you become not necessarily a verb, but like close enough, right? Like, oh, just look on Amazon. When that's in the culture scape, so to speak, that's a hard thing to change. That's really difficult. It's like a company dethroning Starbucks. That's all. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm telling you that is a very difficult thing because they're so much into the culture that they're in movies. That's the go-to thing. You see every you know celebrity holding a Starbucks cup. That's a hard thing to to one replicate and two dethrone. Sure, I think in the the coffee shop analogy is actually a really good one in that there will always be kind of subsets of the population that can dethrone Starbucks, but only in their like specific circles, right? Like exactly. Portland is a prime example of this, right? Like Portland coffee. If you mention like Starbucks is, you know, it's a swear word in the Portland, in the Portland (laughs) area. Right. But that kind of appreciation for niche, small batch, hipster made coffee products, it doesn't extend everywhere. You know, here in Seattle, we are Starbucks, right? Like that's right. hundred percent. There are other shops like that, but they don't nearly get the attention as Starbucks does because there's literally a street in Seattle where there's a Starbucks on a corner and then a block down the road, there's another Starbucks. And it's consistent for the most part, right? So I think that's a thing that Amazon has been really smart from a branding standpoint. You pretty much know what you're going to get. I don't have to think or guess that. If I walk into a Walmart, I don't know if I'm getting shot or, you know, finding healthy food. I really don't know. And so me naturally, not that it, it's rational, I assume the online version's the same. I don't know if I'm going to order a pillow and you send me a bed because my previous experiences with your company has not been that great. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's only me, but I feel like a lot of people would view it that way. Like why, why switch? I guess, you know what I mean? If that's the question in people's minds, I don't think they're going to. And I think that's what drew me to purchasing from niche retailers that specialized in the items that I was going for, right? Like, yeah. You know, I I was looking for a replacement microphone, the one I'm talking into now, because I, I had heard about it. I wanted to give it a shot for this episode that we're recording. And I couldn't get it on Amazon. So I'm not like my thought wasn't to go to Walmart and see if they have it because it's not just like a general merchandise thing. So I think in that particular case, I knew Guitar Center carries those kinds of things. So I'm more likely to consult them. But on just like a regular everyday item, like I don't think about specialty retailers, you know, like there's a specialty pet food store literally across the street. 
I've been there maybe twice in the last three years because I'm I am more apt to drive five, seven miles to the Petco because it has the things I'm familiar with consistently at prices that, you know, they're good price points, right? Like there's that consistently, that consistency is what, what I'm going for more than anything else. You know, I don't know anything about the odd obscure brands that this, you know, holistic pet food store carries. Yes. They're a lot more convenient. I don't see the benefit. Yeah. essentially. That's what it comes down to. And there's different types too, right? I mean, there's still the going direct to the brand site. There are companies, one hundred. there are products 100% that I would refuse to buy on Amazon because of counterfeiting. Prime example, I'm oddly obsessed with, Dame, with James Bond, and especially the brands around James Bond. The products around James Bond are just amazing products. One of those is the Globetrotter suitcase. Old school, amazing, super cool, I would never buy that on Amazon because I would be afraid that I'm going to, and these things are not cheap. They're anywhere between like, they're, they're a London based company. So, you know, with conversion, us dollars, anywhere between, I would say $1,100 up to probably $5,000. So if we're going to spend that kind of money on something, I'm not running the risk of it being counterfeit or me getting a good deal. Quote unquote, not going to do it. Don't care if Globe Charter, the brand, is on the listing as a third-party seller. Not going to do it. I'm going straight to you, and I'm paying more money. I, I generally avoid third-party sellers if it's not obvious they're like a authorized retailer of a thing. Yeah. Like especially like coming back to my microphone thing, like I know for a fact Rode doesn't have many online authorized third-party sellers of their brand. Right. Like that's just a thing, right? It's It's very common – in the professional audio space, there are a, there are maybe six retail chains ever to carry that brand besides the brand themselves, and that's it. Right. So I would never go to some random third-party seller, even if it was a legitimately obtained product or if it was still new in the box. I don't want to run the risk of things like it's secretly a fake, a really good fake, exactly. right? Or the warranty won't be honored because it wasn't an authorized retailer. I think we all have those lines that we'll draw. But there there have been times where I've bought things from third-party sellers, mostly lower-value stuff. Exactly. Because it showed up quicker than what Amazon could offer me, even if it was maybe a little bit more expensive. And especially now, I'm even starting to buy things that are merchant-fulfilled. Really? Which is something I never thought I would do. Like, I, you know... I, I do that for books. Because uh, yes, they're yeah, so I, much cheaper. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care if it takes two weeks. I'm paying five dollars for a book that retails for fifty bucks. Yeah, I don't. I don't. There's there's obviously something wrong with me. <laughs> I have a hard time buying a used book at all. Okay, just on principle. I don't know why. I've never th- sat down to think about why. I don't have a good reason for why. It's just not a thought that ever occurs to me. I Interesting. Don't, I don't know. It's it's easier to just take whatever the default is on Amazon and just go with it. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. To me, most of the books I buy are maybe fifteen, twenty, twenty five dollars. Like yeah. the price difference, I don't care as much about. If it's like a $200 reference manual for something, I'll probably think about it more. But see, I can't I can't buy one book. I have to buy like eight to 10 books at a time. And so it ends up being like $100. I'm like, or I can spend $40 and get all these books and they're still in great condition and like we're totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was told I'm not allowed to buy any more books until I read them, which, dude, if you were listening earlier, too. <laughs> you know that. I have a hard time reading books. It's it's weird. I like <laughs> buying them because people will tell me, hey, this is a really good book. And I'd be like, okay. And then I'll just go 
buy it. Like, I don't even think about yeah. it. Like, it's like, oh, it must be, you know, if it's good, I'll read it someday for sure. But, you know, I read I four up- books at a time. That's my problem. I jump around way too much. Um, but but I, I think there's there's something interesting here is like there, there's a deviation between the types of products you will buy on Amazon and the ones you won't. Like for me, if it's like toothpaste, if it's like I have this this screen cleaner for for my electronics because I like to keep keep things clean. I don't really care if it's a decent brand and it's got good reviews. The risk of me getting something bad is so low and the probability is, is being so low, right? Like I'm, I'm probably not going to get like counterfeit jacked up toothpaste. Now I could. Is that really going to kill me? Probably not. Um, and the likelihood of me ordering from the exact same supply, fairly low the way the buy box actually rotates, right? <laughs> so I bought that so, bill exclusively for any time you mentioned the buy box because it is yes it's a polarizing topic if you ever if you've ever listened to dylan talk about oh, we're going to talk about it at some point competing for the buy box he's going to say some things that'll probably rub you the wrong way so i yes very much so this was actually the the merchant fulfilled item it some <laughs> some random you know hospitality like service please kind of bell right okay yeah it's not the tone i was looking for which is a weird thing to say like there are multiple different did you want like a higher tone or yeah, a lower tone? i wanted a higher one you want there's a, high, a specific okay. sound i'm looking for it's incredibly it hard to find it's a, it's impossible to listen to a bell before you buy it. like you have no idea what it's actually going to sound like it's, that is true it's an odd problem to have i'll admit but yeah no that I, we just went off and left field there for a minute so go ahead and continue your so right so so you have things on amazon that or, or I would say low value in the sense of like the dollar amount, like, right. They're consumables typically or things I'm just going to try out, but there is a second category where you want to go direct to the brand. I'm an Apple fanboy. I would never buy Apple products. I don't care if they're sold by Apple on Amazon. I'm not going to do it. I don't care if they take longer and half the time they don't. I would rather buy directly from Apple because I'm reducing the risk of one, something going wrong and me not knowing who to contact and then saying, oh, Amazon's saying to contact Apple, Apple saying to contact Amazon. I'm not playing that. We're just not getting there. If I'm spending $2,000 on a laptop, I don't care. I'm not dealing with it. I'm going direct to Amazon or I'm going direct to Apple. Same thing with higher value items. Clothes are a great example. I really don't care to buy clothes on Amazon. I really don't because again, it's the counterfeit problem. If I'm spending, I'm at the point now where I don't want a lot of things, but the things that I want, I want to be high quality, but lower volume, right? So I don't want to have, as a prime example, 13 pairs of shoes. I want three pairs of high quality shoes that work in every situation. Total variety, like it works. If I'm going to spend $700 on a pair of shoes, I'm not going to do that on Amazon. I'm probably going to go direct to the brand because if something happens, I can contact them. They have record of everything. I'm their customer not Amazon's customer, and it's going to work in my favor. So that's, that's you know, category number two. Category number three are, oddly enough, the online, not boutiques, but it's not just the brand. They carry multiple brands. A prime example is MrPorter.com. Love this brand. It's a brand of, it's basically like the, the Nordstrom, but online. You know right? Nordstrom a has a website, right? I know they totally do, <laughs> but, but <laughs> Mr. Porter is mainly on, they may have one in-person location in uh, London, but I'm not sure. But either way, I would trust them because they are their own brand and they only stock a specific style of clothes that work for the brand that they have built. 
And because of the quality of items that they carry, I mean, this is not a cheap store by any means. There's a large variety, certainly, of prices. But I know if I'm purchasing something from them, it's going to be taken care of because their brand, like that's built into their brand. Another great example, I bought, um, because again, I'm obsessed with James Bond. Ian Fleming, the the author, was obsessed with, with certain brands, right? One of those is Floris, and that's basically a a cologne brand and they have different, you know, bath salts and stuff like that. And so it's like, okay, you know, there's this specific version. It's number 89 that I've always wanted to smell. So I, I went to their site and I purchased a sample when it arrived. I was like, what is this? Because I ordered a little baby tube and it came it beautifully wrapped. And we're talking sample, a sample, by the way, like a $5 sample, beautiful box. It's got a seal on the wrapping paper. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, this is, you can't see this, but like, this is like high quality. Even the, the actual, this is just a thank you note. And then this is the actual wrap, if you will, for, for the sample. But this is high quality. Like to me, that, that does matter to a certain degree, depending on the product. I mean, this is like not a, a cheap, but certainly not a, a incredibly expensive cologne, but because there's a brand behind it, I have higher expectations, and that's understood. Mr. Porter is a prime example where they're going to have brands like Floris that they carry. But Floris will take care of you if anything goes wrong, but absolutely 100%, Mr. Porter will also do the same. In that situation, I'm totally willing to go to that type of company because they specialize in one area of products. Men's fashion. Awesome. Done. Easy. So I think you'll still see a lot of that, and I think you'll start to see more of that. Um, I'm not sure the distribution of it, but I, I certainly can see it happening. But this is not going to be a, a dot-com bubble of pets.com. We carry everything for pets. No, it's going to be a little bit more niche than that. It's going to be not commodity-based products, right? If it's a consumable, sorry, it's Amazon for the most part. If it's something specific like men's high-end luxury shoes, Mr. Porter. You, you have trust, you have consistency, and you don't have to worry about things. Now, Mr. Porter certainly sells like the Globetrotter um, suitcase I mentioned, so I could purchase it through there and I would feel comfortable doing that. But because it's such a high-end piece um, that I, I consider I would be investing into, I'm probably going to go direct to the brand just because I want to talk with the brand because it's just, it's really cool. It's historic. So I think you'll see some more nostalgic-based shopping for key items. But everyday use kind of stuff, if I'm buying... If I'm buying notebooks, I'm sorry, I'm going to Amazon <laughs> and I'm going to buy moleskin from Amazon. And if it's fake, I don't really care because I could throw it away and it costs me 10 bucks. This is leading perfectly. I don't, I don't know how I'm doing this, but my last thing that I wrote down here is exactly where you've landed right now. And that's yes. drawing the line between where to start your brand. Like if you're going to start a brand for the first time, sure. how do you decide where to place it? Right. Mm. If it's if it's a consumable item that, you know, people just buy on a regular basis, low effort kind of stuff. You could set up your own site. I'm sure it would probably be fine, especially, you know, if you're looking at like a subscription box, for example. Yeah. Perfect opportunity, especially if it's a consumable item. hundred percent. You know, coffee, pet supplies, clothes, even held, you know, Stitch Fix is basically raking in the cash, you know, compared to a lot of other like retailers because they got that system down right yeah or is it something that's a bit more specialized 
something that you you may buy on a regular basis, but not as often, and are looking for more quality over quantity. You know, understanding your audience in that regard seems incredibly beneficial. And Dylan here talking about how he decides where to buy things, I think is a prime example of that. You know, knowing where your audience is comfortable purchasing your things, that alone, I feel like would do a lot of the dictating of how you're actually going to sell it to the masses yeah. online. You know, if you're, if you're at Nordstrom, for example, not now, obviously, uh, that joke's going to get real old quickly. If we don't, <laughs> if people don't start complaining about it now, they will soon. In a more typical environment, you know, you go to Nordstrom, I would argue the first thought in your mind isn't buying these things from a generic retailer that also sells cat food or batteries, right? You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to uh, an office depot if they still existed and buy some other specialty category of item, right? Because that's not something that they do. How do you know that they're offering you quality products, right? It's not their specialization. Yeah. I would argue that every brand, it, it would, when in its infancy, should think about Amazon as a second choice just by default to rule out, if for nothing else, but to rule out have, being able to set up your own storefront, build your own reputation yeah. that people recognize. If I'm buying this quality product from Joko Shoes, dot com, you know, I'm buying Joko shoes from them. I know they're going to be what I'm expecting. I know they're going to meet these certain criteria. I know they're going to help me if the soles come out of them or, you know, they start splitting or something, right? Sure. A lot of cases you don't have that sense of confidence from a gen generic retailer like Target or Amazon because that's not what they do. They're just going to take your return and not think twice about it. It's definitely really easy to create a brand and put it up in any of these general areas. I would argue it's probably not the best, at least initially. I, I, I keep wanting to throw up that asterisk because there will be a lot of cases where, you know, you're just making a water bottle, right? Yeah. You could put that up anywhere. That's fine. Or, you know, little bells, right? <laughs> right. That's fine too. It's not going to apply evenly to everything. I, th I think it just depends on the type of brand you're building and where you can get traction. Yeah. So if you're building a specialized product where the brand is about craftsmanship, it's about customer experience, um, it's maybe a higher end item that somebody does not buy consistently, 100% build your brand on your own site. However, if you're building something that's in a lower price range and you want to build it relatively fast and you want high volume, so there's a difference between having a product that yeah, it might be 300 bucks, but it still has high volume because there's a high amount of demand there versus a product that is a, a, a $3,000 suitcase that you literally buy once in your lifetime. Like that's the way that Globetrotter is set. Like you buy it for once for your entire life. That's why it costs so much, like because the use is so, so high. Great. It's completely different. So as an example, if I'm wanting to start a, a product, let's say I want to start this, um, this screen cleaning product and I, I have my own unique formula for it and my own branding. I can build a brand for this on Amazon relatively fast because the sales and demand is already there. It's already established. So I can get traction way faster on Amazon than building my own site. But I also probably want to move 5,000 of these per month. If I'm starting Globetrotter as an example, it's handcrafted. 
It's bespoke, meaning that I'm tailoring the designs to your needs. I'm sorry I'm not doing that on Amazon. And the idea that the average person is willing to spend over $1,000 for a specific item on Amazon. Nah, sorry. Too, not going to happen. Like, I mean, it does, but it's, it's fairly infrequent. And you're going to have way more like actual concerns and questions regarding that. And most people are putting in a lot of thought, a lot of time, a lot of research into, do I buy a suitcase? Do I buy a weekender bag? Do I go leather? Do I do, you know, vulcanized, you know, whatever? That's different. I'm looking at the brand. And if you're in that category, build your brand and then potentially consider jumping onto Amazon once you have brand recognition. I think that's a, that's a different thing too is some people are completely fine buying Apple products on Amazon. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't, I don't think. Just for me, it, you know, I would just rather go direct to, to Apple. But because there's so much brand recognition for Apple, people are searching for Apple, not laptops. They're looking for MacBook Pro, not laptops. If you're at that point, then Amazon as a sales distribution channel makes more sense. So let's, for real quick, before we wrap this up, let's touch on the small amount of gray area in the middle, and that's maybe boutique brands sold by Amazon, where the relationship is more as Amazon being your reseller of your brand. Or You're your the products. buyer, yeah. Right, which admittedly, I suspect will become less and less as time goes on it because is. it is a lot more profitable for brands to sell directly on the platform because Amazon gets it both ways. But there are still a lot of brands, Apple, et cetera, that Amazon is a large buyer of and their products are sold on the platform along with everything else. Yeah. I mean, I think it could go well. And and I'm glad you mentioned that shifting because it is. If you think about it, why would Amazon, when they're getting 15% of every single sale, come out their cash flow to purchase inventory to then resell? When you could just do that, they could just, you know, like from a cash flow standpoint, they're just getting commissions essentially on every single sale and not having to come out of pocket. Like they're renting their infrastructure. That's all they're actually doing, by the way. They rent out their, their logistics infrastructure. They have demand built into their platform and that works really well. They're also in a unique position where they can afford to acquire companies and make that super profitable. So if you look at an opportunity cost on the ROI of me purchase your brand and me sell it on our platform, or I go acquire this AI company that's going to save us, let's say, 3% annually, I'm probably going to go acquire that company. You just became the small fish. And I think this, this is a very important point. You really need to understand the difference between buyer and supplier power. If you've never understood or read about like Porter's Five Forces, you absolutely should. You're not that important in that situation, which is hard to hear, but it's the reality. If you can understand that, then you can take a more active approach and not rely upon Amazon, you know, gracefully choosing your brand as the next thing. No, you need to do that yourself because the likelihood of that happening, moving, you know, into the next decade is going to be diminishing. Because again, like, why would they do that? As, as demand continues to grow, and by the way, there are still markets that they have not really dove into. A prime one that's really at the top of a lot of people's mind right now is Africa. And people can you know, argue all day long, but this is a, a large amount, a large populace of people that are starting to come online for the first time ever 
with 5G, by the way, when we, you know, we came on with dial-up, so they're skipping a lot of steps. The amount of opportunities for disposable income is exponentially going to increase, which means the consumption rate will also increase theoretically at the same growth rate. Amazon would be stupid not to go into that market. We have quite a few brand examples of that, right? We, right. You know, let's think of some maybe from a while back like uh, Woot or Zappos or yeah. – D preview or or DP review, however you want to mm-hmm. pronounce that, or Comicsology, <laughs> six PM, East Dane, Ring, Euro. Yeah, I'm literally just reading Amazon.com's photo right now, but <laughs> like that's that's exactly the point, right? Like they found these markets that they didn't have a good presence in. Yeah, it was easier for them to just buy somebody up than work out special deals to buy their inventory. Maybe, you know, for a while they were selling Euro stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, ring doorbells directly as the vendor, right? That's because they had to though. See, this is the difference. They had to do that because they didn't have the clout. Now they do. Yes. They've had a critical mass. Keep it in mind. Amazon is absolutely not a retailer. You could say that they are all day long. No, they are a software company. Now they're a software company in parallel of a logistics company. But they're not a retailer. They're not like a Walmart. That's not what they do. They, they facilitate a transaction. They do not buy and then resell. Now, they've had to do that. That's how you gain traction. But that's going away. They've now hit a critical mass, uh, excuse me, a critical mass where they don't have to do that anymore. And now they can have a, a from a cash flow standpoint, a much healthier company, a more profitable company, and still have revenues increasing. It's absolutely amazing. They're the a beautiful definition of a, a what's considered a platform. That's not the route that I see them going. And really, if you chart it over the, the last handful of years when they actually started to report the numbers, you see the amount of transactions that they facilitated where they were the, the buyer and the seller strongly going down. Yes, exactly. And I'm thinking you started mentioning that and I immediately went to the Amazon house brands. Amazon Basics or their supplement brand that I can't think of off the top of my head, but I've bought time and again, the brand itself isn't actually important. Like I look at those as like studies of how to operate in those niches more than anything else. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be surprised, you know, Amazon has a an entire like supplement line now. Mm-hmm. Solimo, right? That's I can't imagine Amazon is building a supplement entity right i see amazon with the the amount of power they have learning how that space works so they could take that knowledge and go suck up a supplement company or two and add it to the amazon machine more than anything else imagine imagine being able to buy a company and increase their revenue by 30 percent in quarter one they're capable of doing that. And what's crazy is being an Amazon seller and understanding how things work, you're also capable of doing that, by the way. There are amazing brands that are strictly offline that you could purchase. You could buy that company and then take it online or the inverse, right? You have private label brands that are started to get traction on Amazon. They're doing six, sometimes seven, sometimes even eight figures just on Amazon. And now you can take it into offline retail. I think Anchor is a, a great case study of a brand that started from nothing and was able to utilize Amazon's presence and resources. And now like they are 
there are, there are so many different knockoffs. Like if, if that's not a testament to their success because of Amazon and it's yeah. this sheer weight, the sheer power it has, I, I honestly don't know what is, right? I think the level of knockoffs you have <laughs> directly correlates to your popularity. But when you have that much network and control and distribution, it's plug and play. I mean, look at look at what they're doing with the Amazon Go, right? When they acquired Whole Foods, people are like, oh, why would you why would you go into an offline thing? They're like, ha, no, you don't see the opportunity here. We're taking something that's you apparently could not innovate on. We're doing that, by the way. But that's not the point. The point is to make it cool so that people want more of those, so that they can increase demand, which increases another distribution channel. So they acquire the supplement company. Guess what? Now, immediately, because we own you, you're in 30 retail stores nationwide. You're also going to rank number one as the the recommended supplement on Amazon.com for these keywords because we own it. We can do that, by the way. And as new marketplaces open up, you'll be first in line for that. If we open up you know, Amazon Africa, guess what? You're the vitamin D that everyone in Africa will start to, to love by the definition by, or by the default, right? Just because they own and control the platform. It's, it's so strategic and so long-term thinking. It's, it's elegant. It really, truly is. Yes. Prime example. I searched men's gummy vitamins as my search phrase. There is an entire section that says, quote, top rated from our brands. See? These are specifically... Amazon brands only. You have Mama Bear Kids stuff. You have the Solimo vitamins. Yeah. You have Amazon Elements multivitamin. Like, there's an entire section there. They have the. It's basically permanent placement because this is their spot now. And it could really just be that they're going to buy up a like a manufacturing company, right? Like, yeah. You know, there's there's some you know white labeling service that they're paying uh, probably an insane amount of money to for this production wouldn't be surprised if they just get scooped up one day for a huge amount of money because they end up being a massive volume of their business. And they're just like, you know what? We'll just kind of bring you in here. And that's the way it's going to be now. And the company is going to be ecstatic that now they're under the Amazon umbrella and they have that, that security and that, that popularity, the consistency in the business, right? They're playing monopoly, right? Because they, they bought a company called Kiva systems, which you should look them up. They're autonomous robots that basically can pick up pallets and move them around. They didn't just say, oh, we want to use your robots to help automate our warehouse facility and our pick and pack you know, uh, systems. No, they bought the company because they're like, no, we want to be your only client. We want to make sure that our competitors can't use your technology. We'll buy you for you know a 10 times multiple, which is outstanding. Mm-hmm. You're now an Amazon employee. We'll give you stock options. You just became rich. We just shored up some some potential IP, and we just automated thirty percent of our our fulfillment centers. Yes, so smart. And and this, but that's an important thing. A lot of sellers are not sellers because this is not a seller's podcast. But like business owners, do not think that strategically, right? I'm a huge fan of saying play chess, not checkers. Checkers is very much like okay, one one move at a time. No. There's such thing as called second and third order thinking. Just because I did X and Y happened does not explain what ha- what's going to happen to Z, right? So a lot of people just think first order as in I threw a ball, it landed on the grass. The grass was the first order. 
But because it landed on the grass, it then rolled down that hill and then knocked over kerosene and lit a fire. That's second order. You need to be thinking second and third order, not just first. If I do X, what happens to Y, which causes Z to happen? That's what Amazon and companies that size do, but you don't have to be that size to be thinking that way. You can absolutely be a small one-person operation and be thinking that strategically. If you're playing chestnut checkers, you get to see things from that strategic vantage point and be like, oh my gosh, that's a huge opportunity that nobody else is considering. Maybe that's my competitive advantage. And to keep our analogy going, Amazon would just buy the hill. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of uh, of Kiva, I've done a warehouse tour twice now, both as the general population, you know, going to a fulfillment center that's on the list and just, you know, getting the look, welcome to Amazon. Look at all this cool shit we can do. Look at our robots. <laughs> right. And then I also went to one as a seller. They, they hosted one here in the area at uh, BFI 5. Um, at that particular warehouse, they only do business, large customers and, you know, special things and uh, apparently seller tours now too. It's a new thing they're working out. And um, one thing that they told me, they didn't tell me I couldn't tell any of what they told me publicly. So I will share this. Every new fulfillment center they're building is going to be robotic. Yeah. They are not building any new human centric storage systems at all every if you've never seen a robotic fulfillment center yet you'll have the ground floor which is all the the hard heavy lifting stuff you know belts and boxes and trucks and all of that and then there will be a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth floor usually at least the one i went to with four floors of this at like one one half of the building four floors high that was all just robots yeah. with their, their, their column, square column shaped storage racks all running around in their little pen. Like that's, there's literally hundreds of thousands of square feet of these guys. Yeah. They've built such an intricate system. There was no way they couldn't not acquire Kiva at the, at the level no. that they've integrated these robots. Like that was, it was basically a requirement to get to that point. And it's, it's amazing watching how it's a work of art practically an amazon fulfillment center it's insane it's beautiful efficiency i love it it, <laughs> it would be it, it would be a dream for you dylan as somebody that loves automation i just want to sit in the middle and have robots just do work around me and me just meditate be like yes i am the human do my bidding 